Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this bonus episode of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. As always, uh, if you're listening on the app, please hit the subscribe button so you can stay in touch with us. Uh, we're going to have uh, some really great shows, especially next week. Uh, we're going to have one on the refugee crisis, and then at the end of the week, uh, we're expecting a really big guest. Let you more, know more about that as uh, time comes closer. But today, uh, we're going to stay on the war in Ukraine, which is what we've been covering over the past uh, two weeks or so. Um, and we're going to talk about the way that right-wing media has been approaching uh, the conflict and kind of balancing uh, their differing uh, impulses, I guess. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but certainly uh, we've seen on Fox there's been kind of a change in how they feel about uh, Russian leader Vladimir Putin, uh, at least, you know, in, in, in rhetoric. And even, I think even, you know, a, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, a lot of what we were hearing from Fox and other right-wing commentators uh, was a kind of downplaying of the severity of the danger in Ukraine. And, and to be clear, a lot of left-wing commentators, too. I think a lot of, I think most people probably didn't quite see this war popping off exactly as uh, quickly and as extremely as it did. Uh, but, you know, right-wing media kind of seemed to, at least from, from my perspective, approach it from a more partisan lens uh, saying that uh, the reason not to trust the U.S. intelligence rather than it being, you know, about the fact that U.S. intelligence is often faulty uh, was more about the fact that it was Biden's intelligence. And so they kind of turned it into this uh, uh, partisan exercise rather than uh, just a general kind of rejection of of, of U.S. national security. <clears throat> so to kind of walk us through this, I'm really happy to welcome Nikki McCann Ramirez, uh, senior researcher at Media Matters for America. She joined us last time when we were talking about Tucker uh, with Sana Saeed and, and Sam Sachs and a few others. And we were talking about how Tucker's been kind of uh, falsely portraying himself as a... Uh, as an anti-war voice, uh, you know, despite all evidence to the contrary. And this is just kind of an interesting follow-up, I think, because now, now we're in the midst of an actual war that's been going on for like nine days now between Russia and Ukraine. And, and you know, that's for a lot of geopolitical reasons, that's a very uh, tinderbox situation. Things are pretty tense there. And right-wing media is kind of uh, I guess kind of whipsawed back and forth in the way that that it has uh, approached the conflict. So uh, I think that maybe we'll start with Tucker uh, because Nikki, uh, uh, unfortunately for her, uh, watches a lot of Tucker uh, for her position at Media Matters and and is, a, I guess you would call her kind of a Tucker expert. Uh, so Nikki, thanks for joining us. Hi, Owen. Extremely happy to be here. Yeah, so um, you are you're an astute Tucker watcher. You're 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 a frequent watcher of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> can, 
can you just kind of nightly watch her? Yeah, nightly watch her. Um, and I think you sometimes watch his uh, his terrible wood paneled uh, Fox Nation show as well. Can you just kind of like walk us? Oh through yeah, the log cabin spectacular. Been... Yeah, yeah, just another uh, uh, brain numbing nightmare. I'm sure. Uh, can you just kind of walk us through the way that uh, Tucker has kind of evolved, as it were, or changed his position on the war? Yeah, of course. So I think to really understand how Tucker is covering this 2022 Ukraine-Russia crisis, and for full context, I mean, this conflict goes back decades, but you really have to look at 2019, when Ukraine entered the national zeitgeist in the context of the Trump-Ukraine scandal and subsequent impeachment. And setting aside the details and debates about the impeachment in itself, for right-wing media, Ukraine was lumped into a group that was troublesome to Trump, antagonizing the administration. And Ukraine's position on the world stage was really framed as the antagonist to this Trumpist conservative movement. It was something that through the impeachment trial really did for a moment threaten Trump's position as president. And so the right wing media and the discussion of this, their goal was to delegitimize the concerns about the security of Ukraine, concerns that extend much farther back than the Trump administration and portray the allegations made by Ukraine and their request and need for aid as ultimately inconsequential. In my mind, and as someone, I incidentally started really watching Tucker kind of in the midst of the Trump-Ukraine scandal. 2019 is where Carlson really laid the foundation for his coverage of Ukraine. In the coverage now is really an extension of positions he'd established in the 2019 Ukrainian news cycle and his viewers we're already primed to view Ukraine through those established narratives that Ukraine was ultimately a country inconsequential to American and our allies' interest, that the concerns about Ukraine's security were ultimately fueled by unfounded hysteria about Russia and Putin by the left and liberals, and in this case, specifically, that an invasion would not happen. Uh, in 2019, the, really, the discussion about providing security and aid to Ukraine was also seen as providing aid and security for an invasion that like was theoretical, that not necessarily would happen, but that was just a request or a project to antagonize Russia. That was the narrative in Ukraine in 2019. And that was the narrative that got transferred now into 2022. In the lead up to the invasion, Carlson really hammered the stances to his viewers. Um, I think at a certain point, besides the fact that he was like regularly downplaying, Tucker was being far more condemning of Justin Trudeau and his issues with the trucker caravans, calling him an authoritarian, calling Canada a dictatorship, and really at the same time excusing this military buildup that was taking place at the borders of Ukraine. Uh, famously now, or like notoriously in the last couple of weeks, Tucker gave this really passionate defense of Putin that was reared on RT in Russia where he basically said that Americans had no real reason to hate Putin, to dislike him, that Vladimir Putin didn't eat dogs, so why do we dislike him? I think in right. the was moment... A, was that the mm -hmm. same segment that Tulsi Gabbard was on, or, or a different one? And, and, no. And Dave, we're going to talk for a little bit, and we'll take your call mm -hmm. uh, in a little while. But uh, but yeah, just, just hang out there, and we will get to you. Go ahead, Nikki, sorry. 
Yeah, no, Tulsi, and he's had kind of like the same rotating cast of characters this past two weeks, and Tulsi features prominently. But I think the kind of like somersault pivot we're seeing right now fits very much into Carlson's established model as a pundit, which is saying whatever he believes will rally his audience at a particular moment in time, you know, without regard for consistency, factual clarity, or consequences, and kind of holding that position until it becomes untenable. Carlson regularly insisted that Americans couldn't find Ukraine on the map. Why should we care? It doesn't really matter to us. And I think in the moment that Putin invaded, and now with everything we've seen, the allegations of war crimes, the kind of indiscriminate bombing of civilian centers, just it like I think a lot of people are misrepresenting this as the first war on social media. It's absolutely not. There's been many before. But the fact that this war is so visually prominent meant that almost immediately Americans absolutely did care. And that narrative that Tucker had established that Ukraine was inconsequential, that this really didn't matter to us, and then kind of the escalation of the conflict with Putin threatening retaliation toward anyone who helped Ukraine made the previous positions Carlson had untenable. So what he did was was kind of fall back to a long-held, tried-and-true Fox News model, which is deflect. If you can't provide your viewers with an apology, a correction, or you won't, your best option is simply to deflect. So Carlson gave kind of just this cursory, well, Putin invaded and that's bad. And of course we condemn that. But then for the last couple of days has really been trying to place the blame for this administration directly on the shoulders of the Biden administration, climate activists, woke generals, kind of any of the tried and true targets that he can use to move this conversation away from what's actually happened on the ground. What can the United States do about it? What can our allies do about it? Um, And kind of trying to position his critics and his viewers in a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Tucker for a long time insisted that the United States should just stay out of it that we shouldn't do anything against Russia, we shouldn't help Ukraine, anything that would kind of piss off the Russians was something that we shouldn't do, which is like a valid position to hold. You just have to be able to defend it and you have to give your reasoning why. And now that narrative is kind of flipped. Tucker now says that the Biden administration didn't do enough to prevent the conflict, that we should have intervened sooner, while at the same time criticizing sanctions, criticizing attempts to kind of isolate Putin on the world stage, questioning if an effort to actually remove Putin from office would be detrimental down the line. And it's really an incoherent narrative that doesn't do anything for his viewers other than kind of redirect that ire toward targets that he sees as convenient. So I hope that's a pretty decent summary of what's going on right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that it's it's certainly true that Fox News, the the tactic of deflection uh, is, I mean, like they also just will, will just pivot and pretend that they never held the position before, um, which, which was kind of my impression of what he was doing, but I guess it's a little bit different. Um, And, you know, I mean, I think, I think a lot of the things that, 
that you bring. I mean, this is kind of the thing with Carlson. I think that's that's interesting and insidious is that a lot of the points that you've brought up, a lot of the uh, positions that he's taken uh, in a vacuum are defensible. Certainly, um, I, you know, I, I I would prefer uh, you know the U.S. and 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 NATO not to get involved with this, considering that the uh, ramifications, the consequences of that have been made pretty clear, would be pretty bad. Um, but it's the dishonesty, I think, that's behind the way that it's being framed uh, by Carlson that that is kind of the issue uh, to me. Um, you know, g- given that this shift has happened pretty, pretty recently, um, and I think that we've kind of seen this a little bit on other Fox shows, is, is that right? I mean, I, I, Ingram has kind of changed her position as well, right? Oh, my gosh. All right. If I could summarize Fox News's coverage strategy to this, it's absolutely incoherent. On the one hand, you have Tucker doing everything I just laid out. Then you have Sean Hannity calling for like a covert assassination of Putin and then a like covert bombing by NATO of the like caravan that's sitting outside of Kiev. I think he said maybe it was two days ago that NATO should just secretly bomb the caravan and no one take credit for it. And Putin won't know what happened. Yeah. Um, probably yeah. one of, one of his most, uh, booze soaked rambling, like inc- incoherent, completely. Incoherent. Oh, absolutely. If, if you think, and I have to give credit to my uh, colleague, Brendan Corrett on this. If you think Hannity is incoherent on his television hour, listen to his radio show. It is the most absurd thing. Um, but yeah, and then you have other Fox hosts kind of straight up arguing for appeasement, the like arguing that to let Putin save face, we should just let him take over a couple cities, have a summit, summit, give him the eastern provinces and just kind of have everyone agree that like, oh, you you won, you can have it. Uh, it it's it's extremely incoherent. And I think it it links back to that coverage strategy that when you don't have a good take or a good analysis on the foreign policy situation, because this is an extremely complicated foreign policy situation, your best bet is to change the conversation. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing across the board in right-wing media is, I think one of the very interesting things that's been taking place on Fox is that their Pentagon national security correspondent, Jennifer Griffin, who's been kind of a staple at the network, I think since 1999, she's been there for decades, has been having to correct anchors on air and explain to them, no, you're wrong. The reason we couldn't do that or the reason we took this action was because this is an extremely delicate situation. And there were a thousand different points at which negotiations could have gone wrong. This could have happened earlier. It could have been worse. We could have given like Putin the excuse to invade if NATO had started amassing troops defensively around Ukraine. And what's also really interesting is that Tucker will not have Jennifer Griffin on his show. But I think Fox and my colleague, Matt Gertz, wrote a really good piece about this, about how when a foreign policy debacle of this nature takes place, Fox's strategy is really to kind of let its anchors say whatever they want. They kind of abandon they kind of abandon the consistency and the kind of militant messaging they typically have on culture war issues, for example, for a strategy that lets anchors say whatever they want, as long as they're continuing to use the conflict and the issue as a mechanism with which to attack established 
enemies of conservatives, enemies of the Republican Party, the typical targets that they usually aim for. And that's why you kind of see this whole mess of coverage that isn't really adding anything productive to the conversation other than just kind of riling people up on various issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that has that has always been uh, their their M.O. Um, You know, I, I know that you guys also cover other right wing media other than Fox. Uh, can you give us just kind of a brief idea of how it's being covered by, you know, like whether it's like, um, uh, you know, conservative pundits on uh, online, like uh, like Greenwald, who, who goes on Fox frequently or or the kind of more. Uh, more kind of fringe, maybe Newsmax, OAN kind of guys, is, is there is there a. uh is there kind of a coherent through line in the way that they're covering this or, or is it just the same kind of incoherent throw, throw shit at the wall and just hope something sticks? I think the biggest through line throughout right-wing media right now is that this is the Biden administration's fault. Um, The reason is debatable. I think Steve Bannon has made a couple comments about how this has to do with the wokeification of the military and like Americans focusing on gender ideology, things like that, instead of military readiness. You've had other anchors just make up, just engage in straight up apologia for Putin. If I am correct, I think Candace Owens made a pretty direct kind of Putin was right to do this kind of argument. Let me double check that so I don't get that wrong. I know a lot of them, including people like Charlie Kirk, also Fox News, OAN Newsmax, are blaming climate um, activists and environment advocates. I think one of the biggest kind of downstream consequences of this is the potential of an energy crisis. And for a lot of these people, this links back to a real, it's a really easy cudgel for them to hold against the left and liberals, this idea that the push for sustainable energy, uh, which in a way does like sustainable energy can get us to energy independence. Energy independence does not have to rely solely on fossil fuels, but for the right, it's a really convenient tool to kind of beat the left with like, Oh, you guys said we should use renewables and now there might be an energy crisis in Europe. Uh, I also think it's really interesting that a lot of people, and this isn't an argument for or against environmental energy, but as we learned last night, uh, Russia was attacking one of the largest nuclear power plants in Ukraine, a power plant that accounts for like a fourth of their energy production. And this entire debacle has also in right-wing media resulted in a really interesting push for nuclear energy. Um, but also I think what that says and the fact that like nuclear, a fourth of Ukraine's power is currently in jeopardy if the Russians take control of that plant is the fact that relying solely on one source of one source for your energy production is, is a terrible, terrible strategy. The more you can diversify, which renewables are great for, the easier it is to prevent a crisis of this nature. But that's, the take within right-wing media as a whole has been a lot of apologia for the Russian regime. 
a really incoherent, there's no through line in kind of takes about what should be done about this. There's really no one, no consensus about if we should argue for sanctions, if there should be military aid. Um, I think the one thing that most people agree is that a boots on the ground in like participation of the United States would be terrible, which I personally agree with. That escalates this into a full blown NATO conflict and we don't want that. But it's really kind of everything at the wall all at once. And yeah. I think that's why it's really hard to establish or really hard to get an answer on what are we going to do about this? You know, one one interesting thing that you said when we talked last time, um, and and I'd like to kind of tease this out a little bit more, uh, and, and this was, you know, back when we were talking about uh, Tucker Carlson pretending to be anti-war and how and how people are uh, either falling for that or pretending that they're allowing themselves to fall for that. You know, one thing that you said that I thought was very interesting was that, you know, Tucker is presenting himself as opposed to war in Ukraine. Uh, and remember, uh, everybody who's uh, listening to this, that this was uh, before uh, the, the the invasion. So. You said that uh, Tucker is uh, presenting himself as against the war in Ukraine because that is just not a, uh, a difficult position to take. The majority, vast majority of people, like nobody wants a war with Russia because they realize how intense and how dangerous that could get, how quickly things could just spiral out of control. Um, and it seems to me, looking at his behavior now, that he's just made this pivot because he realizes that now uh, it's more popular to say that you are, uh, you know, opposed to uh, Russian intervention. And like, you know, I, I don't think that I don't think that anything Carlson says is particularly courageous. I think that he's a pretty cowardly figure um, and this kind of tracks with that. But I'm interested to, to hear what you think of that. If you think that's an accurate uh perception of it or 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 if i kind of have that one wrong absolutely i think yeah i, I as i said last time the position that war and you war with russia is bad is not a subversive position it's not you know i don't think it's necessarily something to be applauded i think it's the default and probably correct position war with russia would be with the united states would be catastrophic for the planet as a whole. I think the biggest thing that happened here is that I don't think Tucker believed that Russia was ever actually going to invade. I think in his mind, it was a distraction. Uh, it was hysteria by, you know, the kind of Russia collusion faction of the left and liberals who were just trying to antag antagonize Russia repeatedly. And now that war has broken out and we're looking at war crimes and all these horrible images and it got to the point where like Putin kind of vaguely floated the threat of nuclear retaliation. He like upped the nuclear preparedness in Russia. It kind of became for a moment and still a little bit, it kind of felt like the United States might be dragged into this. And in that also, it's worth mentioning here that there's a lot of debate, debate about cyber attacks. And Tucker has covered that, like not as much as he's covered energy and all that. But it, it is a consideration, like would a cyber attack against the United States 
uh, qualifies an act of war. I think Tucker really had to reevaluate that position of this might not ever happen. And if war breaks out in Ukraine, it doesn't actually affect us because it, be it became very clear almost immediately that a war in Ukraine absolutely has the potential to affect us. So he had to abandon that position or at least stop addressing it, stop pretending that this was something that was inconsequential to Americans. And now the best bet is to end the war as expediently as possible, minimize the loss of life and minimize the threat of escalation. And the best target for Carlson to do that is the Biden administration, which obviously there are criticisms of how this has been handled. There are things that they could do. There are things that they could do better. And there are things they should not have done. And I think, again, we have to go back to the idea that Carlson will say Fox's job in general is to tell its viewers what to think. That is Carlson's job. That is what he does best is tell them what to think. And for a long time, he was telling his viewers to think that Ukraine did not matter. And it's very clear that it does. So now he has to kind of deflect that responsibility onto other parties. Ukraine matters because it'll up your gas prices. There's the threat of cyber attacks. There's the threat of escalation into a larger war that drags in the United States. And for him, it's not about admitting that he got something wrong. It's drawing attention to other people who may have gotten things wrong, other people who have power over the narrative and making them the ones responsible. And I think Carlson also is reticent to admit that he is part of the narrative that kind of led people to believe that this wouldn't necessarily happen, that it was just Russia blustering that you know, Ukraine was being a little Ukraine and the left were being a little hysterical. And now that completely backfired. So he has to kind of scramble to. Rec yeah, definitely. Um, and, and then so, you know, so final question for for this segment, and then we'll we'll open it up to calls for a little bit um, and, and kind of I guess we'll kind of see how we're doing. Uh, I, I do have a hard cap at one, but maybe we, we might uh, end a little earlier. But if you want to. If you want to jump in to the call, just uh, just go ahead and get in the queue behind Dave here. Uh, but yeah, Nikki, I, I guess that, you know, my other question is, and this kind of goes to what we were talking about last time. You had mentioned that Car uh, perhaps it, it actually may have been Sana. It was, it was you or Sana, but uh, had mentioned that, you know, Tucker has an affinity. Tucker and the right wing have an affinity towards the kind of politics uh that uh putin and and his his uh, russian government have because they're kind of this kind of white christian authoritarian uh right-wing politics and i'm curious as to if, if you're seeing any like uh wavering on that or if that's still uh a, you know a major uh motivator for for, for backing uh, Putin in in this war and also for backing Russia in general. Oh, absolutely. And here I'm going to plug a piece that I have written that it will be published in the next couple hours. Also, if people are more interested in some of the details of what I talked about today, it's going to be a big old timeline going back to like 2016 of Tucker's coverage of Ukraine and how that has evolved. But 
it hasn't come up recently, but there was a really interesting interview, I believe in 2020. I don't want to get it wrong, but it was an interview with uh, it's 2019 with U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is a frequent guest on Tucker Carlson on things related to Russia, uh, where Carlson asked McGregor or McGregor suggested and Carlson agreed that part of the reason the left was so hellbent on antagonizing Russia was because Russia was returning to its Christian Orthodox roots and that Putin had made kind of a really big push to reintroduce religion post-Soviet Union into Russia. We've seen kind of this pattern with Tucker and authoritarian right-wing dictators. He has a huge bromance with Hungary's Viktor Orban. And I think it's really important to note that in the lead up to this invasion, Tucker worked really hard to represent the government of Ukraine as an authoritarian regime who was repressing its people, really echoing a lot of the propaganda and public statements that Putin has made about the Ukrainian government. And to be clear, Ukraine is not a perfect democracy. There are a lot of issues within the government of Ukraine. But it was very interesting that Tucker was making these really aggressive criticisms about a lack of freedom in the press, about like political repression, religious repression in Ukraine, while kind of omitting those same criticism, criticisms from Putin and what the Russian government does, because I think it's very well understood that Ukraine is an authoritarian government. People who are protesting the war in Russia are getting arrested en masse. And I think for Tucker, I don't think that narrative has changed. I just think don't think Tucker really wants to address it. Uh, I think Tucker is kind of at a point where he knows that a public defense of Putin is just going to backfire. I think public sentiment right now really airs toward Ukraine and what the Ukrainian people are going through. This war is absolutely brutal. Um, it's horrific to watch and Americans are paying attention. And I think Tucker really doesn't have the leeway to kind of make those public defenses of Putin that he was making 10 days ago. Yeah, because shit is real now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I don't think Tucker really thought that this was going to happen. I think he like chalked it up to hysteria and now it's happening. It's extremely real. It's going to get worse. And I think it was just kind of one of those situations where where he was like, oh, shit, the, the, this is just completely well yeah i think he recognizes that it kind of went against everything he was saying he kind of did like a little oh well we got that wrong but actually the reason we got it wrong was because kamala harris is in charge of ukraine policy and why would we ever take her seriously like he can't admit a mistake without deflecting responsibility towards someone else it's just not within yeah yeah i i i i found that kind of uh Amusing, I guess, just the, you know, the the inability to uh, uh, present any kind of uh, self-reflection. I mean, it's not like we should be surprised, uh, but it's still, um, and, you know, we've seen like other right wing media. I've seen a couple of times um, over over the past like week and a half, uh, you know, blaming 
trans people and and blaming you know the, like all of these all of these different ways of dancing around saying that this is because like the reason that this happened is the decadence of the west and like if that hadn't happened putin never would have tried anything uh which is like a very convenient um explanation for a terribly complex and involved decades-long uh situation on the Russian-Ukrainian border that that just has is is just impossible to reduce, I think, down to uh, whatever whatever culture war issue you're mad about, you know, over the last like three years, right? It, it just doesn't it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Oh, absolutely! It's an extremely complicated foreign policy issue. There is no easy solution to this. It's a conflict where much like previous conflicts in the past, American involvement would be absolutely detrimental to the state of things, particularly like specifically boots on the ground involvement. Not that we haven't done that before and fuck shit up, but this time would be extra particularly bad. We're up against that Russia is a nuclear power. And I think Fox has so long relied on this model of just turning everything back to culture war issues and this is just something that I can't do that with. So the coverage is completely inco- incoherent. And I just want to make like a quick clarification. I think I said earlier that Candace Owens uh, said something about standing on the side of Russia. I misattributed that quote to her. That was a quote by Joe Altman. Uh, Candace, however, has been tweeting kind of a little bit of apologia about like Putin being a little justified in this invasion, um, particularly about the uh, Donetsk and Lugansk regions. Got it. Okay, so we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take call now. We're gonna take Dave. Dave, I'm gonna ask you to just keep this, uh, you know, your your comment and question to like a minute, minute and a half, if you can. Uh, so I'll 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 take you now. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. Hey, cool. Well, thanks for having me. A minute is pretty short, so I'll just get straight to the point. Um, you guys both made the statement that there's. The majority of positions that get advocated for by Tucker in terms of foreign policy and particularly on war are actually defensible. And you're, so it seems that the problems on these positions that you guys have have more to do with his reasoning. Um, the question that I would put to you is particularly in a media environment like where we have today, where the majority of people are advocating for escalation in terms of sanctions, sending weapons, a no-fly zone, etc. Would you say that despite having grievances with the potential reasons for why the positions are being advocated for by Tucker, the fact that he is advocating for him, for them, has a significant impact on the over... Well, um... And yeah, Dave, just just hang out for a second because um, I, I I think you're probably going to want uh, to respond because this is an interesting question. Um, I think I think that just to clarify, I mean, what I was saying is that like in a vacuum, there are certain things that he's saying that are defensible, um, like individual points. Uh, I don't think that that means that he's necessarily advocating for them. If you look at what he's saying uh, in in the broad scheme of things, especially the way that he's advocating for them. Uh, there's also a question to me of uh, the utility 
of what he's saying. I mean, Tucker is say, say Tucker is advocating um, for uh, uh, you know for, for for the U.S. not to get involved uh, in this conflict for whatever reason. I mean that that's that's fine, um, but he's he's not. He's not particularly like making space for it, and and what he what he is doing in in as much as he is uh, bringing along people who want to hear these kind of arguments made in cable news, is that he is kind of dragging in uh, a number of people in an audience uh, that can then be kind of you know uh, inculcated into his uh, poisonous uh, racist worldview, which I think is is a serious problem. I mean, it is it, like, it's a separate conversation uh, and one that, and one that I'd be happy to have here um, as to why there is even like an opening uh, for someone as for, for a bigot like Tucker, somebody with as these poisonous views uh, to be able to kind of cast himself as the only place where you can get those views on cable news. I mean, I like, I would also like, say that I don't think that that's completely true. I think, you know, Amon and, and Mehdi Hassan on MSNBC have also uh, been, been making some anti-war arguments uh, in, in, in ways that a lot of other uh, NBC hosts are not. But uh, the reason that Tucker is trying to access uh, these audiences is because he is trying to pull people in to then kind of get onto his white nationalist uh, base and to kind of take on the platform and the positions that he takes. And so I think that that is an, that's, that's important context and uh, you can't really strip that away uh, from the other things that he's saying. And so I would say that personally, like, I don't think it's good because that is actually the mission that he has. The mission that he has is not uh, to spread an anti-war message uh, like you'd have to be very, very gullible to think that he really cares about that stuff. Uh, he's a nationalist. He's far right. What he wants is for people to uh, come all, come on to his uh, far right project. And, and Nikki, I'll I'll let you respond. But that's kind of my feeling on on this uh, on this issue, in this perspective. Yeah, I think an important thing to kind of contextualize here is that oftentimes, and I. I believe this is the case with Carlson. The implication of the non-interventionist stance against Russia in terms of Ukraine is that ultimately, in their mind, Putin should kind of be allowed to just take it, even if it's violent, even if it's you know horrible to watch, that ultimately interfering with this, extending the conflict is detrimental to American interest and that we should stay out of it, bolster up our energy resources, become independent, try and minimize our connections with Russia, but that if avoiding like all out war, like a big NATO debacle means giving up Ukraine, that we should do that. That's often the implication in a lot of kind of the right wing narrative of anti-interventionism. And I think it's important to look not just at the statement in itself that war with Russia would be bad. I think you have to look at if we allow this to happen, if we stay out of it, what are the downstream consequences? And I think oftentimes those are often 
represented in bad, bad faith, misrepresented to the audience receiving it. I think a very good example of this, and I'm not going to really make a judgment call on it because, again, I'm not a foreign policy expert. I watch the media and I comment on their strategies. But was Tucker a couple nights ago gave us part of his monologue an argument about how if for whatever reason Vladimir Putin was pushed out of office in Russia, would that ultimately be good for the United States? What like would I think his implication was kind of that, well, if Putin's gone, we might get something worse. And the reason I bring this up is because he kind of makes this convoluted argument about how like, oh, well, like we shouldn't intervene. We shouldn't like try to push Putin out of power. There might be something worse there. there. The video will be linked in the article that'll go up later. But I also think it isolates his viewers from what's actually going on right now, which is you do have an autocrat that has pretty unilaterally decided to invade a country, has threatened nuclear retaliation. That's already someone who is not stable, who is a threat to the United States and the stability of Europe and the like kind of stability in terms of nuclear armament that we've had for the last couple decades. And his viewers don't get that perspective. I think for Tucker, the anti-war sentiment, because I don't think Tucker is necessarily anti-war. I think he's anti-specific wars. He very regularly hypes up the possibility of conflict with China. I think that's kind of the biggest thing on his mind is conflict with China being inevitable. And what is the, the state of military readiness for that? I think Tucker is anti-conflict that he seems as pointless. But the way he explains to his viewers what conflict, what issue qualifies as pointless is oftentimes dishonest and lacks context. And again, I'll kind of circle back to this point that he was making where he argued repeatedly over and over again that this war was ultimately inconsequential to Americans and that now that it like shit has hit the fan, there is an active threat of cyber attacks. There's the threat of nuclear escalation. There's the threat of the destabilization of Europe, of an economic depression. There's a lot of things that could potentially affect the United States. And I think if you're going to posture yourself as someone who is anti-war, you have to be honest with your viewers about the reasoning. And you have to be honest with viewers about the realistic consequences of staying out of it. And this is not an argument for or against. It's the fact that Tucker Carlson does not argue these things in good faith and does not come to his viewers from a position of clarity. It is, again, telling his viewers what to think and what to feel and who to be mad at at a particular moment in time. And when that position blows up in his face, redirecting those principles towards something else without really admitting what the mistake was and what the consequences are now and what has changed in the calculation. Thanks, Nikki. So Dave, do you want to just uh, respond real quick to that? And then, and then we can, uh, yeah, sure. We'll yeah. So, so respectfully, I, I hear, I hear the response and the issues that are being brought up. It's unclear to me how these are unique in the instance of Tucker. If we're going to talk about the recklessness that this, uh, that this conflict is being talked about. 
Um, I think it should be noted that this entered the zeitgeist in 2014 with the Euromaidan, you know, protests, color revolution or coup, depending on how you see it, and then the seizing of Crimea. But the idea that this is being discussed intelligently by anyone in the media is, I, I would disagree with that. You raised a great point about the right wing's diversion. They, you know, they will present as anti-war, Tucker will present as anti-war, but they can't get into the weeds with it because there's a diversion. You know, it always ends up being like the reason why Putin is invading is because wokeness in the military. It's these laughable, almost like boomer, right wing jokes um, that they present. But the reason for that is because if they get into the truth of it, they would have to reckon with U.S. foreign policy, our invasion of Iraq, our invasion of Libya, what we did in Afghanistan. If we get into the meat and potatoes of what is a war crime, we have to reckon with the U.S.'s final act in Afghanistan on the way out of the door, killing a, uh, a U.N. worker and his family with a drone strike to save our honor. And so I would just simply point out on the other end, the narrative that's being pushed that Putin is some sort of unhinged madman who, if we allow him to take Ukraine, will then next he will be invading Poland. And this is World War Three has already begun some sort of 1938 Munich Agreement situation is being pushed, which is very interesting that Netflix also just released their original on Munich this week, just pointing that out. I think that that is also um, completely unhinged. The idea that Russia, which is one of the world's four empires, United States, European Union, Russia, China, the idea that Russia's behaviors are not predictable for an empire is not true. They're acting predictably as an empire in empirical ways. The reasons why Russia feels so strongly about maintaining Ukraine out of NATO is very well documented. The idea that NATO is not an aggressor in the situation is history revision and Western propaganda. And NATO truly should have been disbanded with the fall of the Soviet Union. But I, I don't want to take any more time. So I'll leave it there. I appreciate you guys taking my call. And I appreciate you guys taking my question. I send you love, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Great. Well, thanks, Dave. You know, I think that, um, you know, just say a couple of things. You know, I, like, I don't think that uh, either Nikki nor myself are, are uh, taking any of those positions uh, that you're that you're presenting. And I don't. And I actually don't think. I mean, not, the way that you said it did not really say uh, that we were. But I just want to be, be clear that, that we're not. I. I kind of wonder if the 2014 uh, date is a little, a little bit of an error. And the reason that I would say that is because, you know, you, you can really track this stuff back longer than that. You can track it back to uh, even 2008 when, when Bush first, uh, you know, like outright suggested uh, that Ukraine should join NATO. Uh, which is, you know, in a lot of ways is where uh, this crisis began. Um, and, and I think that you can also say that, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the behaviors uh, from, from the West and from Russia have, have predictably uh, put us at this point. Um, but there's a difference, I think, uh, between saying that and looking at the historical context of, what has happened in in Ukraine between uh, and and on Russia's border, 
and then to say that uh, you know this is a rational attack, this is a rational war. I think that with a lot of these conflicts with a lot of world events, a lot of the time the clarity looking back on them, the the clarity that you have when you look back on them, you don't really have like in the moment. And so uh, is, is, does it seem like Putin and, and, and Russia are being irrational by continuing to pursue this war from a certain point of view? I think it does. Uh, Does it, is it rational? Yeah. From a certain point of view, it is as well. I, I think that until we get a set, you know, and this will be like 10, 15, 20 plus years down the line, once we get like a full historical picture of what's actually going on behind the scenes, both in Russia and, and in the West, uh, I, I think it's, it's hard to say that anybody is really acting rationally here. I, I'd also like to say that um, I, I appreciate, Dave, that, uh, you know, your acknowledgement of, of the kind of, you know, the, just the silliness of the, of the right wing perspective on, on why this conflict is happening. It's something that, that, you know, we've been talking about here. I would urge that you um, check out the podcast from, uh, from earlier this week on Western media, where we kind of went into in a lot more detail about how uh, this conflict has been covered in the Western media and not really the right wing media uh, or, or the traditionally uh, or, or not only right wing media. You're kind of talking about how it's been covered elsewhere. Uh, I think I, I, I mean I think I would agree with you that that the coverage has been pretty bad. Uh, but I've talked for a little while, Nikki. If if, if you want to make a comment here, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say that I completely agree with a lot of what you said, uh, particularly the fact that this is not a problem that is exclusive to Tucker. I I focus specifically on right wing media, but I think this is a problem that is pervasive throughout the news media as a whole. Uh, I think, personally, I think cable news is a bit of a brain cancer on the entire country, no matter like where it aligns. There's like a few exceptions of people. But in general, the people that are on TV talking about this and oftentimes like writing about this and giving opinions are the same people that justified and orchestrated and kind of led us into all those quagmires that you described, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen. And again, I can't recommend enough um, Owen's episode on how the Western media is covering this, but I completely agree. This problem is not isolated to one pundit in particular. I think the biggest thing that I would like to see, and I can say it's a little bit of my wishful thinking, and it's why I pointed it out with Tucker, is that you can hold a lot of different positions on this. You can view it from a lens of interventionism. I agree the whole like established a no-fly zone with NATO thing is frankly idiotic. The downsides are very obvious, but you have to be honest with the people you're talking to about the potential consequences, about what that truly means. And the Western media does not do that. It will not do that for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. And I think the responsibility on us, particularly me, someone who works for a media watchdog, is to point out when those inconsistencies are happening. I think you can absolutely hold the position that, and I'm not thinking you hold this position, but it's a position that's been often discussed and I think kind of becoming, it's kind of entering 
the public consciousness. You can hold the position that there's nothing we can do and Putin should, should just be allowed to take Ukraine. But you have to be able to tell people what that really means. And for watchdogs, for people who are commenting on the media, I think it's really important that we fill in those gaps and we let people know what the consequences will be down the line and what the reality is. So I think it's great that you listen to podcasts like these. I think you should seek other people and really just, again, avoid cable news at all costs. It's not great. It's, I mean, Tucker Carlson was a huge champion for the Iraq war. And I don't think he's abandoned those principles and ideologies. And you can see it across the board that it's the same people who will kind of debate a conflict to death without really having anything to lose. Because at the end of the day, these people have nothing to lose. Their job is secure. Their position is safe. They won't have to deal with the real world consequences of these conflicts. And I yeah, think, they're not, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to see any fallout. Um, so we just have a couple more minutes, but I'm going to take uh, Peter here as the caller. And then I think we'll wrap there. Uh, so Peter, if you just keep it to like a minute or two, I appreciate that. Sure. Yeah, totally. Hi, Owen. Hi, Nikki. Uh, so I guess this is kind of like sticking with the the sort of high level, uh, more Fox News oriented than specifically Tucker. But um, I can't help but like think about this all in the context of like uh, John Hannick, the producer for Sean Hannity's show recently getting indicted by the DOJ for like violating the Crimea sanctions and working with Konstantin Malafeyev. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, like, to what extent do you think that, like, the position of not wanting to uh, getting too engaged with the war in Russia might have relationship to, like, I guess the shared ideological project of, like, media elites in Russia who want to, like, push for, like, kind of a nationalist perspective and, like, uh, like an imperialist view of re-engaging with, like, former Soviet states and like uh i guess job prospects or like like uh the ability to shift into like production roles for like media empires in that part of the world that's interesting i'm gonna, i'm i'm going to let uh nikki take that i think because that's not really so much my expertise or, or you know, I, I don't i don't think that i know quite enough about this to to opine on it uh intelligently yeah um i can only comment vaguely on this i'm not i'm also not a big expert in this area i did hear a little bit about the john hannick situation but what i what i will say and this might be a little tangential is that a lot of the people commenting on this on tv in the media written digital everything are high status millionaires with a bit of celebrity clout who run in these circles and then i'm sure overlap with people in certain situations and i'm not going to get conspiratorial or anything but it, it's not out of the realm to think that especially i think if you if you look at the reaction by a lot of the right-wing media of RT News being demonetized and deplatformed on several, several social media outlets, that these are people who are connected to the Russian propaganda 
state TV, state media apparatus, even if it's just in the sense that they feel a camaraderie through culture war issues. It doesn't necessarily have to be a monetary um, connection. It doesn't necessarily have to be a personnel connection. But I think, and this is where Tucker is pretty prominent, um, not necessarily with Russia, but with his kind of advocacy for Ukraine and their model of government and their kind of nationalism. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, hungry. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Um, I think you do see these ties being formed through cultural issues, through kind of the vision of society that conservatives want to bring to the United States. And I think a lot of these people are willing to excuse the faults of these countries, of these regimes, these dictatorships, if it means having an ally in constructing that conservative social vision that they see. And, you know, sometimes it bleeds into the coverage into the United States, obviously, Tucker and Orban, he's focused a lot on him. I think last night, Laura Ingram was very upset that the United States government had sanctioned some oligarchs and seized their yachts. Um, And again, I think it goes back to camaraderie in the cultural sense. And also that particularly with oligarchs and rich billionaires and millionaires abroad, a lot of the American media are also wealthy elites for however much they criticize the wealthy elites and kind of try and put on this veneer of class consciousness, this is their kin getting sanctioned and seeing financial penalties. And I think for them, it also means kind of witnessing a threat to themselves and to their status, even if it is like a sanction in terms of a conflict. But yeah, I think Laura Ingram kind of defending oligarchs last night was pretty telling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's certainly like a level of class solidarity. And I think that you see that on other networks, uh, you know, specifically CNN and MSNBC, obviously those are the other two that I'm talking about where, you know, they are cheering this on, but they're cheering it on very specifically as a uh, treatment of oligarchs. And the reason that they're using that terminology so much is because that has been coded to Russia. And so we're not like attacking the rich or billionaires. We're not seizing their yachts. We're not, uh, uh, sanctioning uh, the rich in general. We're just going after the, you know, the specifically Russian ones. And so uh, that's that's kind of that omission and, and, and the way that, that that's being covered is certainly also uh, a, a bit of class solidarity. So um, I think we're going to have to leave it there because I, I, I do have to run, but I'd like to thank Dave and Peter a lot for your calls. Uh, really interesting questions and and, and really enjoyed uh, talking through this stuff. And Nikki, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk, you know, not only about Tucker, thank but you. also about right-wing media and about how this conflict is being covered. I think it's it's just a really important uh, conversation to have and, and, and one to continue, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you on Monday. And uh, we're going to be talking to a reporter in Poland about Uh, what she's seen on both sides of the border as far as the refugee crisis. So be sure to tune into that one. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye.